So how are you feeling about January 2020? Hope you've set your 10-year goals. Some of you genuinely will have done. You're like, what do I want out of this decade? I feel a little bit torn about January, if I'm honest. I feel it feels new, and I like new things. A new start, a new season, a new year. 2019's behind us. Good riddance, 2019. Let's start again. And it's a chance to reflect and be excited about the new year. So I love that. But January just feels a bit depressing, I think. So I'm a bit mixed about it. But the good news is we're starting a new series. So in the midst of all of that, um, and that's worth being excited about. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. And I've called the, the series Living Free. And it's a big title, isn't it? When you stop and you're like, living free. So I just want you to take a moment to think about this phrase for a moment. Living free. And let me ask you this question. Would that describe your life? Living free. Or could it be better described as living bound up? Or living stressed? Or living in survival? Living anxiously? I don't know, what's, what's the reality? And it will be different for all of us, but living, living free. So as, as we start a, a new year, we have an opportunity to get real. It's like, okay, where, where are, in church of all places. Um, but where am, I, where am I at? That we pinpoint the emotions that we're feeling, the underground currents of our life. What, what is it that's going on? What does it look like to live free? Is it just a nice title that I've... You're like, great title, James. It's never going to happen. Completely unrealistic. Is it even possible in our culture and society? We talk, we talk, we, we talk a lot about freedom in the church. Don't we? We're like, freedom. But, but freedom from what? What is it that we want to be free from? What does, what does freedom look like day to day? What difference does following Jesus make to my life and my existence? Because the truth is that all of us are going to experience hard things in our lives. We live in a fallen, we live in a broken world. We will all experience suffering, disappointment, loss, grief, relational breakdown, to, to, to just name a few things. If we've been through any bit of life, we will experience some of these things. So how in the midst of a fallen world... And the circumstances that we find ourselves in, can we live freely? So that we've got the reality of our life and the danger is it's like, I come and like, yeah, we're all about living free. And you're like, yeah, but how? How? How is that possible? This little book, Galatians, this little six chapter book has a lot to say about living free. Let me give you two verses that will drive through the series Old school memory verses. I don't know how you feel about that. You're like, well, you're taking me back, James. But there is something really powerful in remembering scripture. I, I think it's one of the many things that we've lost to sit there. And actually, sometimes when we're just in the midst of something, it's like a declaration of this is truth. This is true. This is over me. And so just a couple of verses that, will, is, that kind of are the theme through what we're going. So we've got Galatians 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then slightly further down in the, in the chapter, verse 13, it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
You were called to be free. Freedom is the dominant theme of this book. It drives throughout the whole thing. Freedom from being slaves. Freedom from being in slavery. In slavery to what? Into the many things that we love. That not even that we love, but we, we end up being enslaved by. In uh, chapter 4 it says, You are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. You're no longer slaves. So how do we live as free people in the life that we find ourselves in? The overriding answer is simple, but takes a lifetime to work out. <laughs> and it's this, is by living in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's these two themes. It's freedom through the gospel. That's, you know, if you wanted a summary of what Galatians is about, freedom through the gospel. Now, the father of the Protestant Reformation, a guy called Martin Luther, which some of you will have heard of, liked this book better than any other book in the Bible. I'm not sure how I feel about favorite books in the Bible. What do you think about that? Is that all right? Do you have, do you have a favorite? Like, I've got a favorite. I've got a really unfavorite book as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how I feel, but Luther was quite a controversial character. He actually had a really unfavorite book as well, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, it was my book. James. But, um, but he preached through the book in a series of lectures on at least three occasions. So Galatians was one of his favorites, uh, favorite books. And in his famous table talks, Martin Luther is quoted as saying this, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. So epistle like a letter. This is my epistle. To it, I am as it were married. It is my Catherine. Catherine was his wife. And in, in that he's saying, I love this book. I absolutely love this book. I am, it has changed my world. I come back to it. In the 1700s, a man called William Honnell, Holland got a hold of this commentary that, that Luther had written on Paul's letter to the Galatians. And he read it and he was so excited by it that he gave the commentary to his friend, a guy called Charles Wesley, who some of you will have heard of. Charles Wesley was poorly, he was sick, he was in bed. And he talks about the impact of reading Luther's commentary on this little book, these six chapters, and especially Luther's commentary on a phrase from Galatians 2, which we'll come to in a moment, where Paul, in speaking about Jesus, says this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Charles Wesley began earnestly praying, asking God to allow him to experience for himself Christ's love. Not as a doctrine, not as an idea, not as this kind of faraway principle. God loves me, God loves me. But Charles Wesley begged God, please let me feel the love of Christ. I want to experience this love that's being talked about. How does, how does it go from here to here? And he wrote in a journal that he had a breakthrough with Jesus reading Galatians and Luther's commentary. And shortly afterwards, he wrote the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? The first verse just says this. I mean, these are just, you, many of you will know this hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Can you see just the, the impact that Luther's love, Charles Wesley, Galatians converted Charles Wesley and helped spark the great Methodist revival of the 18th century, a move of God. 
And the drumbeat throughout Galatians is freedom, 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 living in freedom. How do we live in freedom? By living in the gospel, day by day, moment by moment, letting, us, let, letting it change us from the inside out, moment by moment, bit by bit. Let the Spirit of God change our minds, our hopes, our attitudes, our desires, our behaviors, our focus, our whole being, bit by bit. And it's not just this moment of salvation, because I think sometimes we can we could read this book about the gospel and just sit there going, oh, isn't that great for the non-Christians, for people that don't yet know God? <laughs> it's brilliant, this moment of salvation. This is written for Christians. This is written that you've missed the point, you know, and we'll come into that in a moment. But this is, this is a blueprint. How do we live free? This book's been described as dynamite. It's explosive when grasped fully and lived humbly. So today we're going to be, I've set myself a bit of a mammoth task. A couple of chapters, you know, probably an hour on each. So, no, if you're here for the first time, that is a joke. <sighs> but, um, yeah, you're like, <laughs> some of you are like, my children are being looked after. This is great. I've got all day. <laughs> I've got all day. I don't mind. Carry on. Jog on. It's so peaceful in here. Anyway, if you've got a Bible, grab it. I'm going to be reading chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. It's just past the um, Gospels and then Acts and Romans and Corinthians and then you come to Galatians. It says this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to, es to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. No other gospel. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's fairly terrifying, isn't it? Just as a moment, you're like, whoa, let's not get this gospel wrong. <laughs> Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So in virtually every one of the, apostles, the Apostle Paul's letters, Paul begins the letter by thanking the church that he's writing to. So Ephesians, you might have heard of. For this reason, ever since I heard, he's saying this to the people in Ephesus. He's saying, ever si for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That would be kind of an example of what you would normally get in one of the epistles, one of the letters. And he almost, Paul almost all, always offers a prayer for that church, but not here. No, thank you. No prayer. That tells you something. Um, not to the churches in Galatia, which is a region that today would be in south central Turkey. So that's kind of where it is. Paul doesn't begin with thanks or with a prayer. He begins with astonishment, stunned amazement. Um, Galatians 1.6, I am astonished. I think we can read in the emphasis in the tone 
just think for a moment. Have you ever been in front of the, for some of you, this is a while ago, the headmaster or mistress? I am astonished. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Paul's upset. He is not pulling any punches in this moment. So why is he so upset? What is it that he's got his, he's got a rage on about? Let me just give you a tiny bit of background to this letter. Paul was a brilliant church planter. So he started churches and he was very good at it. And he would go into a town and he would start preaching in that place. He would, he would, get, he would go to the central space within that town and then he would start preaching the message of Jesus. He'd tell people about Jesus and then he'd start discipling them. Now, what would happen is that he'd end up leaving a church behind. So he'd raise up some leaders and leave a church in that town, leave a church in that place. And then he would move on to the next place and he would keep moving around. And there's something called Paul's missionary journeys, which you can see he goes on these great trips all around. And he has a number of these different missionary journeys. He starts a church and then he moves on. Now, sometimes on those journeys, he's starting a church. At other times, he's going back to the church that he started in order to see how they're doing. What's going on? How are you doing? Okay, why are you doing that? Now, sometimes he could go physically. Sometimes he couldn't go physically. So he wrote letters. He wrote Like, I'm writing this letter because I can't be with you right now. So here's some thoughts about what's going on. Now, the people that started following Jesus were not from a Jewish background. So often in that first wave, it was Jewish people coming to know Jesus. But actually, as Paul, he was said that he was a missionary to the Gentiles. These were people who didn't have a Jewish background. And so they would have been in that time, they would have been known as pagan. You know, it's like pagan society. They wouldn't have had this background of faith. They would have worshipped other things, other gods. So they were coming from a completely different background. And Paul came and preached to them the message of Jesus Christ crucified, who rescued them to, from this present evil age is what it talks about. And these, these pagans, these people without faith in Galatia, they, they receive the message. They're like, yes, this is amazing. This is brilliant. They come to faith. They're baptized. They experience the power of the Holy Spirit. But then Paul has to move on because he leaves the church in order to move on to the next place. And he receives word that the work among the Galatians was being undermined by some Jewish Christian missionaries who'd arrived on the scene. So this is another group of people that have come into this place. And what the contention is that they were preaching a different gospel. That the gospel that Paul preached is not the same gospel that these people are preaching. They were telling the Gentile Christians that they needed to be circumcised, that they needed to stop eating certain foods. So it's almost this whole Jewish background, you know, a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament. They were saying, you need to live according to this. And Paul's like, no, you don't. This is a different gospel. So Paul is deeply, deeply distressed at this moment that the Galatians are responding to these outsiders, these people who have come in and they're believing that their faith in Christ alone is not enough to make them full members of the church. They're saying it's the gospel plus this, 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 and this. If you do all of these things, then you're a Christian. And Paul's like, no, 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 by faith alone. So coming back to Galatians 1, 6, and 7, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, right there, grace, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. This gospel that you're turning to 
It's not true. It's not real. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So in the book of Galatians, we find there is one place where Paul draws the line and it concerns the gospel, the core of the Christian message. He's like, I can go along with a lot, he says. I can be as flexible as anyone. But if you attack the gospel, you destroy the church. So he is strong, really strong, as strong, stronger than the other letters. So after Paul left, some of them had started turning their backs on God. And the Galatians were acting like the Israelites in the Old Testament, about whom it's frequently said they quickly deserted God. So this gospel was, you know, suddenly they were going off over here. They're going... Now, the truth is that, you know, we could read this about the Galatians and be like, stupid Galatians. We're exactly the same. (laughs) That we can do this in our own lives. You listen to a message that's been preached and you feel like God's really speaking to you. You're like, oh, wow, God is on my case. You're in a place, whether you're in a small group or whether you're listening to a message or whether you're in worship and God starts speaking to you. He's nailing you and you listen and you say, yeah, I really do need to reach out to my family member and get reconciled, for instance. Could be. I feel like God's putting his finger on this addiction or this habit in my life and I absolutely have to change it. I need a change. You feel the spirit of God speaking to you. I've got to change my behavior towards my spouse. I've got to tell my child that I love them. I've got to break up with my girlfriend or boyfriend. God does something amazing in your life and he supernaturally protects you or a loved one from an accident and you see a healing. And for a few days or weeks, you're so grateful and you say, my life has changed and I'm on a different path. And then you go right back to the same behaviors, the same activities. You don't follow through on your commitments. I think that we have this behavior in our life. And Paul uses in the verses, he talks about quick desertion. He, the, the language in verse 6 is the language of personal betrayal. So this is, I guess my point is, this is aimed at Christians. It's not at non-Christians. This is aimed at Christians. The likes of us. Are we living in the right gospel? Jesus plus, ding, 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 ding. We're called to love, to live in the gospel of grace. And do you see how we can blow hot and cold like the Galatians? So Paul is upset because the Galatians are deserting God, the God who loves them and who's blessed them and who's worked so powerfully in their lives. And he's going to fight and he's going to fight for the church and he's going to reclaim. And so this book is about what is the gospel? What is the core things around which we're united? How do we make sure that we get this gospel right? And so moving on into the next section in Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul starts telling his testimony. He starts telling his story about the amazing way that God broke into his life on the Damascus Road, how he's just gone bang, put, pick Paul out. And I, don't you just love stories of miraculous conversions? I do. I love, I love hearing them. Do you know what? I was thinking about this, and I was remembering a time about eight years ago. I was down on City Road, and I was in one of the, um, one of the restaurants down on City Road, really multicultural area. And I, I was in there with a friend and there was this guy sitting alone um, and he just started talking to us. And, uh, and then about halfway through the conversation, he was from Iran and he just started talking about Jesus. And I realized, and he was like, do you know Jesus? Do you want, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a moment. I am, somebody's talking to me about, this is amazing. And he was telling me his miraculous conversion and his story, and then he was wanting to give me an opportunity to know Jesus. I was like, yes. But his story was unbelievable about what, how God had woken him up in a dream, spoken to him. Um, he'd come to faith, 
didn't know any Christians and had moved, you know, was persecuted for his faith, had to leave his family because they started persecuting him. But it was a dream that God has spoken to him in a dream, a miraculous conversion. And then he's like, I've got to tell people about this. When, when you've had that kind of story, Paul has this kind of story, doesn't he, where he's like, God has rescued me. Now, that's not to put down other testimonies as well, but there is something about seeing the power of God in people's lives. And you're like, and this is what Paul's doing. He's just like, let me tell you my story. And then in verses 13, 14, Paul, he says this, for you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely jealous, zealous, sorry, for the traditions of my father so Paul was sitting there and he was like I he he was the one that persecuted the church for for those of you that don't know you know he he went after the church he was trying to kill them he was trying to shut it down he's like these Christians we nothing to do with them and then God broke in and went bang and he called him he's like I'm calling you and Paul's conversion is marked by a complete change in focus in verse 15 the subject is not Paul the subject is God Galatians 1.15, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased. We move from a situation, and this is the same in the Christian life, where the center of life starts as I, 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 to Christian conversion, the center of life becomes God, God, God. I, 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 God, God, God. So living in the gospel is always marked by Jesus displacing you at the center of your life. And as we're going to see later on when we look at Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And this is where I want to end in these verses. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So living in the gospel, coming back to this concept that's driving through this talk, is like going to watch a film and looking at who gets the top billing and who's the supporting actor. Before we meet Jesus, what happens is we're the star, we're the actor, everything's about us. We're the star of the drama of our lives, and without Jesus, our lives are a drama. But everything, literally everything revolves around our activity, our thoughts, our goals, our plans, our dreams. It's me. Let me tell you a little bit more. It's about me. It's really, really about me. Following Jesus moves us to the supporting role to what Jesus has done and is doing and we find this idea that we're displaced at the center of things by God everywhere in Paul's writings so let me just take a moment as we go into the new year you've probably made some of you have been like I am going to change everything about me this year who's the central character in the story of your life just as a starting point who's the central character is it you or is it God and it's a really simple moment to just come back. It's a really simple question in some sense is to go, do you know what? It's blatantly me. I am so that I'm so the star of this drama about me. Or actually, is it God, God, God? If you're in charge, you are not free. And if he's in charge, you're free. Can say that again. If you're in charge, if you are the star, you are not free. If he's in charge, that's what gospel freedom looks like. Have you moved from the centre to a mere supporting role? Let me ask mums and dads. Who's the primary actor in your kids' lives ensuring that they might succeed? You or Jesus? 
Who's the weight on, you or Jesus? Married couples, who's shouldering the primary responsibility for holding your marriage together, you or Jesus? And the danger is, what happens is we try and do every part of our life, whether it's marriage, kids, whatever's going on in our life, do you know what I mean? Work. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to survive and we're trying to do things right. But the truth is we've just never invited Jesus in. And we know it. But day by day, moment by moment, we've stopped inviting the Lord into those situations. And that's the major difference. Let's be honest and say that the reason why so many of us are anxious, so worn out, the reason why so many of us are up in the middle of the night worrying is because we're still the primary actor. We still have given ourselves top billing in the drama of our lives. We have not yet understood or exchanged the I-centered life for the Christ-centered life. It's still me. We do not understand living in the gospel of grace. What a relief it is to be pushed to the periphery and to have Jesus, the sovereign God, who's infinitely wise and infinitely powerful, taking the central role. Can you see how that takes a huge weight off our lives? That shift in focus to being like, do you know what, you're in charge. You're in charge. So coming just back to the story for a moment. The Gentiles have started following Jesus through Paul's message of grace. Everyone was happy and growing. Then the apostle Paul left and he left the church to continue his preaching, his church planting ministry and other places. Some opponents came in and told these new Christians in Galatia that the apostle Paul gave you half a message. Paul, what does he know what he's talking about? This is half a message. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus. We've no problem. But in addition, you want to be a f- if you want to be a full member of God's people, you'll need to practice circumcision, circumcision, sorry, celebrate the Sabbath. You need to keep all of these laws, the Jewish food laws, cleanliness laws. So Paul went up to Jerusalem, got the agreement of the apostles there to support his message of by grace alone. This is what happens in chapter two. He's like, this is wrong. He gets their agreement that it's through faith in alone, in Christ alone, without these additional things that we needed to do. And then we get to the point, well, we think everything is okay. But these opponents were like vampires. You think they're dead, but they keep coming back. And this time, they're back in Antioch, and they put pressure on Jewish Christians in Antioch to separate themselves from Gentile Christians. They're basically saying, no, we need to eat separately. And these opponents put so much pressure on the Jewish Christians in Antioch that even the Apostle Peter and Paul's dear friend Barnabas also separated themselves from the Gentile Christians. So that's what's happened. So Paul, and this is in chapter 2, he had to go up to Peter and he had to confront Barnabas and he had to say, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? Why have you separated yourselves? This is not what the gospel is about. The gospel, at the heart of it, unites. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's going back into this situation. You can imagine it was a tense moment. And he's saying, what are you doing? Why have you started doing this? So even these great Christian leaders in this moment let the gospel slip. Like they they missed it. They'd made it Jesus plus something. Jesus plus this. So in in finishing, I just want to look for a moment at verses 19 to 21 in chapter 2, where Paul outlines the gospel and what it means to live in the gospel. It's like, this is what this looks like. Just the most beautiful words. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's not the gospel plus anything. Jesus alone is the righteousness. It's on him. Come back to the cross. What happened on the cross? He took our sin. He took our sin, shame. Took it all on Jesus in order that we could be right with God. It's such a graphic image, isn't it? I have been crucified with Christ. Take and think that through for a moment. What does that look like in your own life? You know, we've got the picture of Jesus being crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. In order to be free, we have to die. We die to our old self. We have to die to entitlement, our perceived rights, our scheming. And in that moment, God comes in and he rescues. And we put it aside and we follow. Do you know, I had a chat with my two youngest daughters last night about what it means to be a Christian. I was just sitting there and I was like, <laughs> one of these moments where you're like, do you know what it means to be a Christian? And they're like, eh. like, come on, James, we need to do a bit better here. And the truth is you can ask that, you can answer that question in so many different ways. <laughs> what does it mean to be a Christian? And then I was like, oh, how am I going to answer this question? How can I make this really simple? And I was like, we follow Jesus. Girls, being a Christian means that we follow Jesus. He's the shepherd and we're the sheep. Because I was trying to make it, I, I just want to make this as simple as possible. What does that mean? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He becomes the shepherd. We become the sheep. And we sit there and we're like, Lord, lead. We let him lead. And then it finishes. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The, I, right back at the beginning, I said it was this verse, who loved me and gave himself for me, that Charles Wesley that broke him. Because it doesn't say who loved us and gave himself for us. Suddenly there's this personal component to it. It's like who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, when you come to Christ, you're set free from you. The biggest problem we have, the greatest burden that is on us is us. Just dragging around the weight of our own drives, our lusts, our pettiness, our jealousies, our disappointments. Paul says, when I came to Christ, I was set free from me. What happens, Paul says, when we come to Christ, we become new. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've moved from this me-centered life, which is all about my needs, my dreams, my wants, to a Christ-centered life. And if we don't get that, we don't understand the gospel. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Copernicus, but Copernicus was the astronomer who communi communicated to the Western world that the Earth was not the center of the solar system, that the sun was the center of the solar system and that the Earth revolved around the sun. And it created a revolution called the Copernican Revolution. It totally shifted the way people thought about what it was like to live on planet Earth. It's like, wow, we're not the center. We revolve around something bigger than us. That is what Paul is saying. You revolve around the sun. Your identity is found as you revolve around somebody bigger than you, namely Jesus Christ. So in order to live freely, We have to die. In dying, what happens? We surrender. 
were like, God, I have no idea what is best for my life. But I know that you have a plan for me, that you've had a plan since the beginning of creation, that you teach me how to live. I see it in the scriptures that I become more like Jesus. I follow him more closely, that I go after him. I'm like, Jesus is found in you. And I just believe that this is a daily process. This isn't just a salvation moment. This is a day by day by day. We forget to live in the gospel. Lord, my work is stressing me out. Invite him in. Lord, my family's breaking me. Invite him in. Lord, my relationships are strained. Invite him in. Lord, I'm worried about many, many things. Invite him in. Lord, I'm lonely. Invite him in. And as we invite him in, we say, I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to carry this by myself. I need you. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it finishes with just this. He, loved, he loves us so much that he's willing to do that for us. And that's the centerpiece of the gospel is Jesus crucified. Him saying, this is how much I love you. That I'd go this far for you that you don't need to live alone, that you don't need to carry this by yourself. And that this gospel is freedom. It, may, it will make you utterly free. So why don't you live in it? And I think as we start 2020 or whatever year we're in, that's our challenge. I want to be a person that lives in the gospel. I don't want to just know about the gospel. I want to live in the gospel and I want to live freely. Why don't we